Hey, this is Mike Brake, the lead pastor at Freedom Church in Los Alamos. Just want to say thank you so much for stopping by the podcast today. I hope you feel encouraged and I hope you feel inspired today to take your next step of faith with Jesus. Enjoy the message. But there is also something about the mask. And I heard heard a young teenager like middle schooler say, you know, I I don't think I want to go to school without my mask because now everybody knows what I will look like. And I thought, oh, that, that's a hard place. That's, that's a place where a lot of us are. And actually, it's that thought that brings us to the text that we're looking at today. And I, first of all, I got to tell you, I, I love coming to be here. I'm so grateful when your pastor says, hey, come fill in. And I, I want to say, you mean I made the cut? Like, I, I get to be a part? Because I, I love being with you. I, I, I've especially had a, a privilege and a deep and humbling honor, I think, to get to be with a small group on Sunday nights. If you're not in a small group, you should be in one. There's another plug. You should be, because I, I, t- I have so enjoyed getting to know and treasure and, and love the people that make up that group, and they have uh, just fed my life, and I think we've, we've shared together. So I, I'm grateful just to get a chance to be here with you. And you also ought to know, I, I think you probably do by now, because you've, you've, you, you, apparently you come to church. And apparently that's an important thing here, especially on a long weekend. Most people in Los Alamos disappear on a long weekend. But you're here, and you've heard sermons. And, you know, I need to tell you, sermons are kind of a tricky thing for pastors. They are. Because what pastors want to do is encourage you, right? Lift you up. Uh, empower you. We, we want to comfort you and create safe places and console and tell you it's going to be okay and make you feel good and then sometimes challenge you to get to work. That's, that's kind of what sermons are about often. But to borrow a phrase, there's an inconvenient truth with which we must deal. Yep, the Bible is full of grace. And those songs that we heard this morning, they make me cry every time. Because in all of our brokenness and imperfection and frailties and struggle, there's this God who comes to us and says, Hey, I've been looking for you. I've been looking for you. But on the other side of that story of grace and God and all of his wonder and marvel coming to look for us is the other side of the story. The Bible has a lot, a lot of serious warnings. Warnings that we dare not ignore. Much as we might want to, we cannot give the warning. And, and note this, every warning in Scripture is given in love because lo- love... Love simply without, without the warning, declaring love without including the warning, is mere shallow sentimentality. It is possibly deadly, fatal. But on the other hand, shouting the warning without love is harsh and cold condemnation and offers no hope. So we, we want both. We need to understand the scripture has both. And the passage that we're, think, we're, we're looking at today holds many positive words. Words of encouragement, but it also holds stern warnings. A few weeks ago, when Pastor Mike asked me if I'd fill in for him, I said, well, sure, I'd, I'd love to. I'm, I'm honored and humbled to do that. 
but let me fit into your series. What are you preaching about? And he said, well, we're talking about faith and various aspects of faith. And I said, well, great. Tell me what text you're going to be on on February 20th, and I'll just take that text. And bless his heart, he gave me probably one of the hardest texts in the New Testament. One of the texts that we struggle with the most. In fact, this text, I'm just going to head and tell you, this is the pastor's nightmare text. It is. It's, it's the one we live with, but it's not just preachers. It's, it's many of us Christians. Because, you know, pastors, um, uh, well, we're trained. We go, you know, we go to school, and, and we learn how to, to do the thing, and we learn how to preach and pray and teach, and um, we, we learn how to say the words and do the church thing and, do, and go through the motions and even do great things, and we want people to like us, for goodness sake. So we try really hard to do all that as well. And then in the quiet of a Sunday night when it's all done, we go home and say, Lord, do I even know what I'm talking about? Do I even know who you are? It can be a journey, can't it? Well, thank you, Mike, for assigning me this text. I really appreciate that. But actually, let's look at it. I hope you have your Bible. And I hope you have it either... um, in, in, in this big black book or on your phone or somewhere. But please, if you would, turn to the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. And we're going to look at not the whole Sermon on the Mount. We'll focus in, but we'll take note of this. As we look at the text for today in context, we realize it's in this collection of teachings and sayings that, that we have delivered here in the book of Matthew, the entire Sermon on the Mount, a high watermark of how to live the Christ follower life. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, here it is. Three simple chapters, three powerful, overwhelming chapters. Start to finish, Jesus says, Hey folks, if you're going to follow me, you got to be different from the world. And it sets an impossibly high standard. In fact, chapter 5 ends with these words. So here, here, here it is, here's all you got to do. Be perfect. Yeah, be perfect. Be perfect as God is perfect. And you go, oh, all righty. I think that's, uh, that's a goal, but I'm thinking I'm going to struggle just a tad. Let's tighten the focus just a little bit. As we look at Matthew chapter 7, this is the third, the final chapter of this sermon, this collection of, of sayings, and let me just read it to you. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 27. Jesus concludes this this message that he gives to this crowd of people and to his disciples who are sitting right here. He says, listen, I want you to understand this. You've got to enter through the narrow gate. You've got to enter the kingdom through the narrow gate. The gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter into it. There's going to be a big crowd going through the wide way that leads to destruction. You're not going to be alone, folks, if you choose to go that way. You might feel very lonely, but you're not going to be alone. The gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Few who find it. Right there. Powerful word to us. He goes on and says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. 
you'll know them by their fruit. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Warning. You'll know them by their fruits. So we hear these words. And then we can even go further. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, yeah, but I never knew you. So depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And then Jesus wraps this up by saying, therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man. You're going to know this story. You can sing the song. A wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and yet it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. And then Jesus says, that's it. We don't really have a that's it in the text, but that's where it stops. Here's the positive in this passage we've just looked at. There is a way that does lead to life, and you can find it. There are good trees who do produce good fruit. You can have a solid foundation that will not collapse, but here are the warnings. Don't take the easy way of the world. Remember what John said in 1 John 2.15? Don't love the things of the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's of the world, the lust of flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, these are not from the Father. These are from the world. The writer of Proverbs says, there's a way that seems right to people, but its end is the way of death. When Jesus says, find the narrow way, that word narrow, it's a tough word. It actually means hard or afflicted or even could, could be translated torturous, that torturous way. That does not sound kind, gentle, and hopeful. The torturous way, he says, the way that you're going to go is a way that will be highly demanding. It will require decisiveness, commitment, obedience. It will be precisely what Jesus said in Matthew 16. If you're going to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross, and you've got to follow me all the way to death. Jesus goes on to say, well, I'll tell you what else. Not only do you have to find that hard way that's going to be tough, but you've got to be aware of false prophets and the wrong kind of food, the wrong kind of fruit. These prophets stress money or power or superiority or freedom, but they produce the wrong kind of fruit, division, lawlessness, pride, definitely not Galatians 5.22 kind of fruit. 
Verses 24 to 27, he says, don't build on the wrong foundation and experience a devastating, surprising, inevitable collapse. Don't go there. So here we have Jesus who's willing to die for us out of a love that is infinitely incomprehensible. And yet a Jesus who also says, this is not an easy way. And if you think it is, you may not know me as well as you think you do. This is the hard part of this text. So let's zero closer to home right here. Verses 21 and 22. Do you have these in front of you? Listen to what Jesus says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we preach? Didn't we do amazing things? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we participate in exorcisms? That was pretty scary. And Lord, didn't we perform in your name many miracles? These, these, this text is not aimed at the listless, apathetic, do-nothing kind of religion. This is an active religion that these people are claiming. These are sayers and doers, likely fruit bearers of some kind. They've done many religious works. They've fervently prayed in his name, claiming his name, Lord, Lord, how many times have you and I said those words, said that name just like that, either in praise or beseeching and pleading? Lord, we, we, we've named your name. We've, we've done all of this. We, we've preached and prophesied. We've, we've done exorcisms and miracles. It sounds dynamically charismatic, an amazing kind of ministry going on here. Well, what was missing? What is missing that Jesus touches very specifically in the final analysis, it wasn't a failure to do a lot of stuff. It wasn't a failure even to have the right theology or plant churches or build big churches. It wasn't a matter of a good reputation or a good reputation in the community or right politics or anything of the sort. Let's parse this chilling text, that we, this statement that we have from Jesus. He says, depart from me. I never... That is, not at any time knew, that is, had a relationship. A relationship. You know what that means? A relationship with you. You busy, involved, religious person. I never had a relationship with you where we got to know each other. You know me, and I know you. Apparently, a person can be pretty religious and not know Jesus. Apparently, apparently, we can put on a mask and we can do all the things and say all the words and go through all the motions and do all the church stuff. And Jesus says, put down the mask because I don't know you. I don't know you. I want to know you. This is my heart's desire, is to be in this relationship where I know you and you know me. And when you say, Lord, it's a familiar, intimate name you're speaking. And then when I speak your name, it's an intimate, familiar knowing of you. So we hear these words come very clearly. The problem here, Jesus says, is a failure to do what God wants all of us to do. He says, I tell you what, it's not going to be all the stuff you do. 
but it's going to be this, doing what God wants. And what does God want? What does he want? What has he been about since before the beginning of time? He's been planning since before the ages, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, that he is going to come and make it possible for the whole world to be saved. That's what he's coming for. That's what he's been planning. That's the whole story of salvation. Old Testament, New Testament. Creation to the end. God working to come to us and rescue us out of this stuff. Jesus says, the problem here is you don't understand that. You don't understand, in other words, you don't believe in, you don't receive fully and know and be known by his Son. When Jesus was talking to some really religious folks, we see it in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 6. He says to them, this is the work of God. In fact, the Jews said to him, what is the work of God? What is the will of God? What's the work of God? And Jesus said this, that you believe in the one whom he sent. The word believe, pistuo, we know that word. That word means not just mental assent. Oh yeah, it's, that's Jesus, the Son of God. No, that word means full investment of my whole self. Mind, heart, soul, body, strength, everything. Busted arm, the whole bit of me fully invested in him. That's what Jesus says to those folks. In John 6, just a few verses later, in verse 40, he says, This is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up in the last day. Ooh, you and I, we at the core of our being want that. We want him to raise us up. Just this morning as I was driving up here, I, I love driving up here in the morning um, to see the sun and to see the bright blue sky, to see the mountains. And, I, and I, I often say, Lord, when the trumpet sounds, I'm looking forward to rising to meet you in the air. But I hope I didn't just say all the words and do all this stuff and never know you because I want to recognize that trumpet when it blows. And I want to recognize your voice when you call my name. And I want to see your face and know it's you. And that you see my face and know it's me. It's me. Dumb, frail, capable of stupid, dragging through the world. Me, but here I am. And you know me. Thank you, God, for taking me just as I am. Thank you for letting me walk into this relationship with you. God sent his son as the culmination of an age-long plan. And he's immensely proud of that. Can I use that word about God? That God's immensely proud of what he's done? And proud of his son? That his son is the culmination of what he's been planning since before the ages? This is obviously in the, obvious in the Gospels. What does Jesus say at, what does God say at Jesus' baptism? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. How many more times do we hear that? Every account of the baptism that shows up, every account of the transfiguration that shows up, where Jesus says, God says about Jesus, this is my son, and I am so excited that he's finally here. That was the message of the gospel and Jesus' message. I'm finally here, folks. Look no further. You want a sign? Here's the sign. Look no further. So obvious. Isaiah the prophet talked about it. But here, here's the point. 
We have to let the text say what it says. And these passages, this passage, constitute a warning. God takes seriously, and, and this, this, is, this is my own personal struggle, and I share this with you. God takes seriously the sacrifice of his son. He hates the idea of diluting the efficacy of the cross. He does not abide a flippant, casual approach to the Holy Spirit's work, nor easily countenance a capricious treatment of the incarnation, and he won't tolerate those who take these truths lightly and play at being a Christian. He doesn't easily suffer those who know the truth but accept it only half-heartedly. Those who give lip service to it. Those who know all the right answers. And by golly, I can give you a ton of answers. You know what? That may not matter if I don't know him and he, know, he knows me. Those who all know the right answers but have never died to themselves and said, Lord, I'm on my face and I'm your slave. I give up my rights I give up my pride, I give up my presumption, I give up my accomplishments, I give up, I give up everything for you. Everything, everything. Yep, grace abounds. Don't despair. Salvation is a gift, a gift, not something earned. It is affected by God's act. It is accepted by our receiving salvation is God's promise of everlasting love accomplished in the death of the cross, accomplished and fulfilled through the Holy Spirit. That's ours. This is God's very nature. His goal is to reconcile us with himself, to set us free, to clean us up, to raise us to a different level. Remember what Paul says in Ephesians? So that we're like, his, like jewels that he puts up here in his display case and says, See, this is what I did. That grace and that salvation is fully available and he equips us to follow him and to walk in his way. But be forewarned. Salvation is not cheap, nor is it undemanding. And that's what we see in this text. I'm not saved so that I can go do whatever I want. I'm called to die, to be buried with Christ and raised up to a whole new existence. To think that I simply have my fire insurance? That's what we used to say back in the 60s. Yeah, I was around in the 60s. Back in the 60s, you used to say, well, I got my fire insurance. I'm good to go. But there's not fire insurance without the obligation or response inherent in that salvation. A faithful life in Christ inevitably implies repentance, confession, humility, God expects his children to obey him in all things, to trust him even when life is no fun and more than a little confusing, and to follow him to the death, no matter hard and torturous it is. And that's this hard text. The writer of Hebrews says, how shall we escape if we neglect, neglect this great salvation? Paul says in Timothy, you know, the goal of our teaching is that you would have a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. Peter says, you know, in light of the end of the world, that it's all coming and that our end is coming. He says, what kind of people ought we to be of people of holy conduct and godliness found at the end to be people of peace, spotless and blameless? God expects his children, that's us, to be a part of his church to build up one another. 
He expects full allegiance from his children. Jesus taught us to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to worship in spirit and in truth. And Paul makes it clear that our focus is to remain on things above, not on things of this earth. There is such a high standard, such a high calling, and if we don't understand that, it may be that we don't understand him. And that's the focus of this text. So what do you and I do? How do we even think about this? Let's understand this clearly. That Jesus has the right to make an claim on us, an ultimate claim. Our destiny with him is bound up in our obedience to him. Our obedience demonstrates that idea, that understanding that we, we know him and we've come to understand and walk with him. Christian faith then is more than religion. And I love those folks who say, I, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. And I say, well, do you want to even know what you're talking about? Because here's what the text says. To follow Jesus is a decisive, committed, faithful, persevering obedience. Because at the end he says, depart from me, you who don't believe that. He uses the word, depart from me, you anomion, you lawless ones. You've said, I got, I'm in, so it doesn't matter now what. He says, essentially there, if you had known me, you would have respected what I taught you. You respected what I taught you. So let's wrap it up with this. It wasn't that these people to whom Jesus is referring had once been known by him and then forgotten by him. They never knew him in the first place. That's why he says, I, I never, I never knew you. These religious folks that we read about in Matthew 7, 21 to 23 were never in a saving relationship, a walking alongside, um, humbled and broken and receptive and open, fully giving self a slave forever. To him. So this, this is where you and I put it all on the line. Right here in this place. This is where you say, Lord, and now we're going to say it really honestly, like, Lord, take all of me. Take all of me. I give you my heart. Be the first in my love and my commitment. I give you my thoughts. Conform them to yours. I give you my words. Guard them, each one of them. I give you my body. May each step reflect you in me. Maybe I be like your first disciples who when they heard your call immediately left their nets and followed you. Lord, help me leave my nets. Help me take the mask off. Help me be open to you completely and say, here I am, all that I am. It ain't worth much, but it's all yours. Oh wait, it must be worth something because you died for me. Help me to grab hold of that and live there. In John chapter 6, Jesus had said some other hard words. Actually, if you read through the Gospels, you'll find a lot of love and grace and salvation. you also find a lot of hard words. And Jesus had said some things, and a lot of disciples were leaving. A lot of disciples. That's how they're referred to in the text. People who had said, I'm with you, Lord. I'm with you. But they were leaving because they couldn't take his hard words. They couldn't take those in. And then Jesus looks at his 12, 
his little group. And he said, so are, are, are you going to leave also? Is this too much for you? Remember what Peter said? Lord, where else would we go? Where else would we go? You have words of life. Hmm. You have the words of life. Where else would I go? Would you take a moment and join me? I, I think I want to just spend some moments in quiet and reflecting on this text. I want to just pray quietly, and then I want us to pray uh, together. You know, there's all kinds of uh, purposes or goals of sermons. Sometimes they encourage us to think better or live better or do something. Sometimes there's a sermon. Sometimes there's a message that's simply this. Make sure you've nailed it down. Make sure you've said to the Lord Jesus, here I am. Take all of me. Wherever you lead, I'll go. Wherever. Father, hear us as we pause for a few moments and let these words sink in to us come right into the core of our being. Our prayer always is that what we hear from your word is made alive by your spirit and that our whole spirit is enlightened to be able to hear. We're going to take a moment, Lord, before you, each one of us right here, and... Be really uh, careful. Be very focused on you. Lord Jesus, we don't want to just go through the motions. We don't want to say the words. Maybe long ago we had an experience or uh, a moment, a a flash, something, and we, we said, I want you. But maybe we've wandered a long ways down the road and we've realized that we're not following you or that we don't know for sure if we know you fully or if we've taken seriously what you taught us. I pray your spirit would speak to us in this moment. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to the podcast this week. I hope you felt inspired to take your next step of faith with Jesus. Just a couple next steps that you can take coming out of this. One, rate and review the podcast. That really does get the message out to other people faster, as well as click subscribe to make sure you get the latest content as it rolls out each week. And finally, if you want to partner with us financially, head on over to our website, click the word give. That's going to get the message out through our ministries further and faster. Have a wonderful week. God bless.